well, I'm not going to even hide it. I'm going to try to keep the crying to a minimum. But, you know, when, when change happens, you just think about all the, all the stuff that you've, you reflect when change happens. And tonight, I'm just going to kind of reflect a few things that I've been thinking about. And I, I want to say that um, it's been the greatest honor of, of our lives. To serve you and, and to, to love you and to work together. I don't know how to not be emotional. <laughs> Early on, um, we were, uh, I was leading worship and doing youth ministry. And I had a few different pastors at times, and I don't say this to brag because it really isn't bragging. <laughs> it wasn't much in, in any way, but had a few different pastors at times uh, say, you know, you, you should come over and you should uh, take over for us. We need a worship leader. I had one pastor come and say, I'll give you double what your dad's given you, which <laughs> at that time, we were, there wasn't a whole lot to go around. We were up in Klamath Falls last year and the choir was singing and afterwards a couple of the elders of the church came up and said hey we'd like you to be our pastor and, and I'm going to be honest I never once even considered because it wasn't a hard decision for me this is my home and this is my body and so I don't take it lightly the reason I say that is because I don't want anybody to feel like that this was a, a frivolous decision. We make tough decisions in life. And sometimes we have to step out. I preached, and you know, we always say this, we preach where God is dealing with us. I read that, that verse about Jesus saying, the one who hears and understands. And I read that a couple weeks ago, and the Lord just absolutely convicted my heart. One of the things I've realized in the last month, it's the most emotional I've ever been. I think in my life, and I'm a pretty emotional person, I, I love to smile and be happy. It's the most emotional I've ever been because I didn't realize exactly how attached that I am to every one of you. I think we all feel that way. I didn't realize, I'm 43 years old, I didn't realize how attached I am to my mom and dad. And that's kind of, that's kind of sad at 43, I guess, but But I've been thinking about that. And tonight I just want to share with you a few things that are on my heart. I'm not really going to preach. I just want to share. How at times we have to, we have to step in areas that we're not comfortable stepping into. We will have, and I only say this to prove this point. I've said this to a few people. We moved into our house three and a half years ago. I didn't know if we were going to be able to make the payment. It cost more than what I thought it was going to cost. We had a few things. The county changed after we got our loan, and I didn't have any extra money. And my mom and dad gave us $3,600, and dad said, hey, I want you to break it up over the next year. You got 300 bucks a month to help make your payment. And that, was, that helped. We were going to really, really, really struggle to make it. 
We'll sell the house and we have some equity. We'll have a little bit. That's the most insecure time of my life. I've never felt more insecure in my life. Because there is no security in the things of this world. And as much as I am attached to each of you and we love you so dearly, I'm realizing more and more that there isn't security in one another. As much as we love that and we're supposed to be a part of the body and and absolutely that's such a, a blessing around here. As much as I love my mom and dad and I'm thankful for all that they have done in my life. In the last few weeks, I've realized that my attachment has to be moved. My dependency has to be moved. I can't be dependent on people. I have to be dependent on the Lord. It's a lesson that I don't want to learn anymore. I told Carrie and the kids the other night in the car, we got in the car and I said, you guys need to figure out this patience thing. I'm done with it and I'm tired of waiting on you. Because for some reason, God's slowing this all down and it's, you know, I don't like the lessons that we, that we learn sometimes. But they're absolutely necessary. And I, I, I was thinking about my life 27 years ago. That seems like a long time now. I was 17 years old. I had just given my life to the Lord. I grew up in church, as you all know, and I didn't stray way out into the world. I never did drugs. I never partied. I didn't really rebel against my parents. I needed a savior. I was lost. But I had just really given my life to the Lord. And my faith, my new faith, was challenged to the core. I've often thought that I feel like I didn't have much of a testimony. You see people get up and they share where they've come from. And I listen and I am moved to tears. How many of you are moved to tears when you, you listen to what other people have gone through? And I have often thought throughout my life, if you would have asked me several years ago, I would have told you, I don't really, I mean, not to sound wrong, but I don't really have that kind of a testimony. But it was a few years ago, the Lord helped me to see something of his keeping power in my life. I had just really committed my life to Christ. 17 years old. I had been so involved in sports and loved that. And I'd gone to church. I didn't have any problem with God, but I really didn't have a commitment to the Lord. And I was laying in bed with my first of six knee surgeries and realizing that my career as an NFL quarterback was probably over, probably never was started, but it was certainly over. I was realizing that maybe my college career was over. And something struck me. The Lord began to speak to my heart that I didn't really know who God was. I didn't, I didn't know him. I'd grown up in church. I knew all about him, but I didn't know him. And so I had committed my life to the Lord. I had grown up in a church that was full of supposed holiness. But in truth, it was full of abuse, manipulation, perversion, and pretense. All around. I don't know if that was the cause. I, I know, you know that it certainly didn't help me to want to be what everybody around me was. 
excluding my, my, my parents, my mom and my dad. 17, just committed my life to the Lord. Growing up in all of this, my family is kicked out of the church that my grandpa built. We had just seen the second pastor in three years have an adulterous affair and decimate the church. I was full of insecurity. As much as none of you would believe this now, I could not speak in front of people. When I had to do public speaking in school, I struggled. I did not do well. And I was terrified to sing in front of people. That's the truth. Probably from all the pinching of the cheeks that I got when I was a little kid. And I would go down to my grandparents and sing. And they would pinch my cheeks. And I was like, eh, I don't want that. <laughs> terrified to sing in front of people. Terrified to speak in front of people. I never wanted to be pointed out. I wanted to fit into the crowd most of my life. Like I said, I never turned, I never turned away from God in the sense that I... I hated God or anything like that, but I didn't want to be known for my faith. I tried to blend into the crowd. I was probably, by most definitions, a follower. I wasn't the most popular kid, and I wanted to just fit in with the group that kind of was. And with all that I had seen and experienced, I had justifiable cause. Now, at this moment, we're watching everything kind of around me. I remember it was such a tough, a really hard time for my family. It was really hard because all the friends I had known, I go to school and they wouldn't talk to me. I'm 16, 17 years old. I didn't even know what was going on. And my dad's being threatened. And because we dare expose the this pastor's not living right. And it was just a really terrible time. And just at the point where I had really committed my life to the Lord. Very vulnerable. I, I had justifiable cause to walk away because of the hypocrisy that I had seen. But there was also something else that I had seen. I'd seen my, pa my parents faithfully serve God. Even in the midst of a huge mess. I'd seen my father work full time and be fully invested in everything that we did. Now being 43 and having raised my kids, I don't even know how he was able to be that involved in the amount of work he was trying to just keep food on our table and coached all of my stuff and went to all the games and took us wherever we needed to go. I had watched while others were phony in outward holiness and they spoke with charisma and walked with a strut and my father worked behind the scenes to try to hold things together to keep the things of God while others had worked to decimate the things of God. And I had watched my parents faithfully give when we had lost everything and had nothing left to give. So I stood at the crossroads, stood at this point of decision. I've talked to some of you about that very point. Some of you have stood at that moment of decision in your life where you make that choice about are you going to go forward in this direction or are you going to go forward in this direction? I had to make a choice about what kind of a man I wanted to be. 
I think sometimes we think serving God is, is about so much more spiritual things than what it is. I think it's about making a decision about what kind of a person we want to be. Do we want to be a follower of Jesus or do we not? It really boils down to that. And I had that decision in front of me and I remember the, the tearing that was going on inside of me. Any of you ever been through that where you realize I, this is a tough choice. This is a difficult thing and I've got to make whatever I'm going to make right here is going to really de- de- define who I am and what I'm going to be. My dad felt inspired by God to start a church. He, he was not the charismatic one. That was his brother. Dad's the behind-the-scenes guy, as you all know, the guy who would rather be in the corner of the room. I get the gift of gab for my mother. She has no problem being the talker in front of the room. Dad's going to sit in the corner. But Dad felt inspired to start a church. And it wasn't written on the wall. God didn't come down and say, hey, Rod, start a church. He felt led by the Spirit of God in his heart and stepped out in what he believed, that synthesizing that Peter was doing. I was trying to make that point a couple weeks ago when I was talking. How does Peter walk on water? Well, humans can't walk on water. Peter was walking on faith. In my opinion, he wasn't walking on water. He was walking on faith. There was a synthetic that had gone down in front of Peter because he said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. And he said, come. And he stepped out on faith. He didn't step out on water. He just stepped out to find the Lord. Dad felt inspired to do so. We moved from our house, which started with the first seven of us. My, my, I said this the other night, but my dad... My two sisters, my mom, and my grandma and grandpa Stinson started in the house. I remember the first Sunday, I still do, in the living room. And it wasn't too long until a few people were coming. I remember all the little lessons I learned. I remember when my dad was being, and I'm not, I'm, listen, this isn't, a, this isn't a brag up on dad night. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I'm trying to paint a picture because the example you're setting is going to carry over into your children. And I remember as my dad was being accused of things. And he said, we're not going to respond. We're not going to respond. Awful things. Completely untrue. Unverified. No reason anybody in the world would believe him. And yet they're going around and, oh, you know, this and that. And I remember the night that it was, it was exposed that the pastor had the affair and that the worship leader was pregnant And I remember my dad and my mom both crying, not celebrating. They had been vindicated, not celebrating, crying because of the devastation it was going to cause the people who were in in that church. Didn't respond in kind. But we moved to the community center in Cottonwood every Sunday. I remember. I learned some things through the years. I remember my dad every Sunday loading up the pickup truck with the stuff to go down and set up 
church in the community center. Go down and mop up the beer from the crab feed the night before. Set up some chairs in that old black stepside pickup. Sadly, by himself, because I was too lazy to do it, because he felt the prompting of the Lord to work in this way. And I watched as he would set that up and then tear it down and take it home. And for 14 months, every Sunday, rain or shine, beer or not, go down, set it up. And then we moved from there and we moved into the church we were in for the 24 or 5, however many years it was, I lose track. We were still down in Cottonwood when I heard my first calling. First time I heard the calling and it wasn't God, it was my dad. Dad said, son, we don't have anybody to lead worship and I'm preaching and I'm not going to preach and lead worship. So I think you need to do that. And I can't tell you how terrified I was of that thought. Now at that time, I would say there was probably only about 20 to 30 people there. It shouldn't have been that terrifying. And probably of those, I think there was about 10 of them that were my family. <laughs> shouldn't have been that terrifying. But it was something that I was certain I would never be able to do. It was something that I felt so insufficient in and insecure in. And I unwillingly submitted to his request. Some months later, I heard a second calling. It started with dad. And he said, I want you to consider, I want you to pray about the calling of God to work with the youth. We had started to pick up a few kids. My friend in high school, Bri, I'd gone to since second grade when I moved to Cottonwood schools. Was his brother was getting married and he was digging a pit for a pig. That they were gonna roast it, and he stayed out till one o'clock in the morning. He fell asleep at the wheel on the way home, and he was driving down Gas Point, right, kind of by where the mini market is there. And I remember we were in our house and we heard it. We heard the explosion. Hit a tree and he killed him. And something stirred in my heart. I did pray about it. I prayed and I felt like that, that God was calling me into that. There wasn't any writing on the walls. Nobody prophesied over me and said, this is what you need to do. Just stepped out in what I believed God was calling me to do. There were a few kids coming, but only a few. Heather, Austin, Chris, and not too long after that, Dustin. And I think about where we were and where God has brought us to. And I look at so many that had, the, had broken homes and now they have whole homes with children that have grown to love the Lord. And 
I had no intention, and God knows this, of ever being a pastor. It was something that was completely foreign and I had no desire to do. I remember because my grandpas were both pastors and then my dad had, be, had become, a, you know, started pastoring. And I remember, and man, I, that is not something I ever want to do. Even after I'd given my life to the Lord, I still didn't have any desire to get up front and to, and to preach to people. That was nothing that was appealing to me. But as I prayed, the Lord began to put the calling in my heart to minister to his body. And that's what I've attempted to do for 26 years. I think about how bad I probably preached <laughs> when I first started. And nobody ever told me. I think of how I struggled, didn't know how to youth pastor, probably made some pretty bad mistakes. But my father kept directing me and helping me. Son, yeah, think about this. Do this. We've all seen poor examples of Christians. We've all experienced the hypocrisy involved in religion. And I think that all the tears that we are shedding tonight and in the last few weeks is because we haven't seen that here. And I'm not just saying we have not seen that in our pastors or our leadership. We have not seen that as a body. So many of you have stood at that same crossroads that I stood at. Every reason to walk away from faith. Some of you were abused by church or in church far worse than even I had experienced. And yet you're here because we have all found a place where Jesus Christ is the center, the priority, the pinnacle. The labor of our pastors has been to build this body in transparency and in truth and in fellowship. We've never intended to make it about the Kincaids because the Kincaids have no ability to save anybody. To steal a line from my Uncle Skip, I can't save a flea. It's never intended to be about anything but the Lord. Yes, we all have different callings, and for some, you will never preach because God hasn't called you to that, but there's no less significance in the body, and we have seen pretense stripped away, and we've seen effort made, not just from the leadership, but yes, in the leadership, and down through the body, to be transparent and to see Christ formed in one another. We shed tears because one of the things that has made this little body special is the true and genuine concern for each other. This world is cutthroat. It's dog-eat-dog. Dog. And many of you have had friends in the world who you would have considered close, who you thought you could trust, 
who have turned on you and have hurt you and have assaulted you and taken advantage of you. But here, it's not so. No, we're not perfect. And I'm sure I've offended each of you. Not intentionally, but I'm sure I've done it. But the true and genuine concern for one another is why we cry at the thought of not being together. And Jesus said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And I think we all know that that's the case here. We are genuinely joyful when we see our body succeed and we rejoice with them. And we hurt when people in this body hurt. I think we shed tears because church has become big business. It's all about marketing. It's all about image. Whatever your brand is, whether it's modern or traditional, edgy, holiness, the brand becomes the message. Their name becomes the identifier. Church shirts, bumper stickers, social media blitz, and big event days with big speakers and big singers. And yet, that's not what we have here. We've never been about trying to get people to come and join the EOC family. We have always been about laboring to see Christ formed and you join the body of Christ. We've accepted Baptist. Any Baptist here tonight? Ex-Baptist. We've accepted old Pentecostals. We've accepted some pretty rank and vile people, which most of us were without the Lord. And all of it has been an effort never to build echoes of Calvary, but to see Christ built in us. Finally, I think we shed tears tonight because the Christ-centric message that should be central in every church is what we hear every week in this place. The focus here has never been on grace or love or wealth or healing or holiness or liberty. The message has always been about Jesus, about who he is, about his glory and his revelation. And some who were bored by a pastor's continual message of the revelation of Jesus Christ, now cry at the thought of not being able to hear it. And as we go on our ways, it is not the end. We are all a part of the body of Christ. I think that we can say that and Jake and Morgan are already there and Tony and Haley are already there and so we can adopt Charlie and Clarissa, we bring them back, but 
This body is built on Christ. Your life has been built on Christ. You might be frustrated by what comes at you. You might be frustrated by me. You might be aggravated with someone and something, but your foundation is not anybody else. If you've stayed long enough in here, you're going to have heard that your foundation needs to be Jesus. The sinner and the focus. Whether we are here or there or wherever we tread, we must remember to continue to do the very things that has made this place so dear to us. To pray for one another. To love one another. To support one another. And to unite with each other. I don't think that because we may not all live in the same exact area does not mean we cannot do all of those things. Can the church say amen? Amen. I commission you to share the glory of Jesus Christ. As you have heard, as it has been given to you, the scripture says, Freely it was given unto you, freely give. The world around us needs to know what you know. This message cannot stop here. Can't stop with the doors of this church. It can't stop in Oklahoma. It can't stop in Reading. It can't stop in Tennessee. The message has to be delivered to anybody who will listen. This is the commission to make disciples of men. And the way we make disciples is not to bring them to us. It's to bring them to him. To show them his glory. To give the recognition that is due to Jesus. Pray for this revelation in our lives. Walk in simplicity before him. And refuse the pretense of big religion. This may be, I never know what the future holds. We figured this morning this would be our last hoorah with Tom and Debbie and us. We've sang together for 20-something years. 26, yeah. A long time. We, well, this is the last time we'll sing together. We said it right before. You know what I've learned? You better not plan too much. <laughs> Dad got that microphone, he clicked the button. It was like he shut off the power with the click of the button. It was. We have have such a beautiful thing. But it doesn't end. Yes, we are discomforted because we recognize that there is some separation and the scripture does not say it but i think it should have said it absence makes the heart grow fonder i mean some of you can't really stand me no i'm kidding but in a few months you'll be able to absence makes the heart grow fonder it causes us to forget things that we couldn't couldn't let go of 
Couldn't get over, couldn't, just frustrated about. And we get a little time and all of a sudden we, all we can remember is all the great things. And I'm going to tell you what, we need to remember those things. Let me leave you with this verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound. To give thanks to God always for you. Beloved brethren in the Lord. Because God from the beginning chose you. For salvation. Through sanctification. By the spirit. And belief in the truth. To which he called you. By our gospel. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In which, therefore, sorry, verse 15, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, even our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. We will always love and pray, and hope for every one of you. Pastor, would you come? I just say an amen there. Um, I just love and appreciate, you know, not just being my son, but helper and all of my children, my grandchildren and all of those who have labored in this house. God bless you so much. We love you and appreciate each one of you. Amen. Would you stand with us tonight and find your family. Would you do that? And uh, your kids. And, and we are just going to